0: Erica Rhodes is an actress and comedian who got her start at the age of 10 by performing on the nationally syndicated public radio hit, A Prairie Home Companion. Rhodes began her stand-up comedy career two decades later, inspired by a bad audition. But things have looked up for her since then. She's guest starred on such sitcoms as New Girl, Modern Family, and Veep, put out her first comedy album, and competed on the NBC series, Bring the Funny. Her first hour-long special, La Vie Roads," is out now via Comedy Dynamics, filmed in the summer of 2020 in the parking lot of the Rose Bowl to an audience of 400 cars. Rhodes and I talked about the unique nature of adapting her hour for COVID conditions, finding her voice, writing for Medium, and what she's learned about herself in the past year experiencing career highs and personal loss during the pandemic. So let's get to it. <laughs> last things first, Erica Rhodes. Congratulations, your special is out this very moment as we're speaking.
1: Thank you, Sean. I don't know if it's up on um, Amazon yet. Do you know? I haven't checked.
0: La Vian Rhodes, it should be. So you've also been back out on the road. Is that right? You just came back from doing some dates?
1: Yeah, I've been out for a while now. I actually have been Going pretty nonstop, but just, you know, small clubs and socially distanced and everything.
0: What's the vibe like?
1: People want to be out. They are very grateful to have a reason to come out. And then some people seem like they're just having a great time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So So it's even better now than it was a year and a half ago. When you were doing clubs?
1: I think so. I mean, I've noticed differences in different clubs, like different places seem, you know, like I did Alameda and they seem, they still seem a little nervous. You know, the crowds felt a little bit on edge, like they were scared to really laugh. Um, But then in North Carolina, it felt like they were just really ready, ready for it.
0: Also, before we get too far into it, I want to apologize to you uh, retroactively uh, because (laughs) For the longest time, even though I know you're from Newton, I know you went to Boston University, you went to BU. But for the longest time, when you were fir- when you were first coming up in comedy, I kept thinking of you as another of these uh, eccentric ladies from Minnesota.
1: Oh my gosh! Well, you know, and it's got to be the I voice, like I. <laughs> It's well. My mom is from Minnesota, so you're not so far off. Like I've okay. got the Minnesota genes, and I spent a lot of time in Minnesota growing up. So you're not so far off. And a lot of people think I'm from the Midwest.
0: Right. I think I was thinking like, oh yeah, she's just like a a younger, peppier Maria Bamford or Mary Mack, or and I'm like, oh no, that's no. You're 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 in Newton, Massachusetts.
1: I know. I think Earl. I have a bit of the Boston side to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do have elements of Midwestern, you know, especially like my R's. When I speak, my R's are very hard like that.
0: And then, of course, you were as a child involved with the Prairie Home Companion.
1: Exactly. Which is
0: a very Minnesota Very Minnesota.
1: Exactly.
0: So I, I like, you know, you, you joke in your special about... about uh the numbers going down on people uh pursuing their dreams yeah and uh I wonder like when you were 10 years old was being on public radio a dream or was that something that your parents steered you towards or how did that happen in the first place
1: it was a very strange turn of events. Um, I, my, my passion at 10, honestly, was ballet. I loved ballet. I wanted to be a professional ballet dancer. I loved everything about it. I was obsessed with ballet. And my mom is a violinist. So she's always played in the orchestra of, you know, the Boston Ballet or, or uh, the Boston Pops. She played in the Pops and, uh, she, is the one who asked Garrison to do a fundraiser for her orchestra because they grew up in the same hometown, which is Anoka, Minnesota. Okay. And uh, he agreed to it, and he came out and met my mom. And then after they met, she said, you should meet my sister who lives in New York, who's a violist, um, Jenny. And Garrison took a long time to call her and then finally called her, and they really hit it off, and they started dating Ah. And, then, and then they came and saw me in the Nutcracker while they were dating. And we all went out to dinner afterwards. And then he heard me speak and his eyebrows raised. I remember when I spoke because <laughs> I just had a very high voice. Like kids called me squeaky. You mm. know, when I was little, I just had a very, like very tinny high voice. And then he looked over at me. And the next day, my, my mom said, you know, Garrison wants you to do his show. I had no idea what the show was. I was acting a little bit because my mom got me an agent when I was a kid because I was always performing in public. Like I would – one time I joined um one of the street performers in the, in, at the T-stop. She was like playing – she was playing like Charlie in the MTA or something. Okay. Or is it, yeah, and uh, I knew all the words, and so I sang along with her, and everyone was like, wow, that kid – you got to get that kid into performing – so my mom got me an agent. So I had an agent when I was like five. Oh, wow. Like acting and stuff. Um, but I didn't know what his radio show was. And when I did it, I had no idea what it was. Even when I did it, I was like, what am I doing? Where am I? They had me stand on this like this box because I couldn't reach the microphone because I was so little. And uh, I shared a dressing room with Alice and Janny because she was on the show at the time. And she was really lovely, really nice to me.
0: Was that during her West Wing days or before that?
1: Before, way before. Wow. Yeah.
0: So you were on the ground floor of that too.
1: Yeah, she was. She wasn't famous yet, but she was very talented and very sweet.
0: Did she give you any any early advice?
1: She just she taught me a vocal warm up. You know, we did like Mame, me mo Moo" and do 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 and oh, you know my she. My Yeah, she just kind of she took me under her wing and I and she was just really kind to me. And I just remember thinking, you know, I feel like kids can get a like kind of gauge people just in a very raw way, like their personalities. And I just had a very good read of her. I just thought this is a good, good woman, good person.
0: And you mentioned your mom being part of the Boston Pops. So I imagine as a kid, your experience on the Fourth of July was even more kind of magnificent than most kids because you got probably got choice seats on the Esplanade and it's funny that you
1: say that because now that I think about it I don't think we got any special treatment like I remember still having to find a place and that it was a bit you know always super crowded right but it was exciting because my mom was there but I don't think we got anything special oh (laughs) yeah I don't think so
0: I I feel bad for you but I feel good for the rest of society (laughs) I guess
1: that yeah, was very fair. It was, you fair. Were, yeah,
0: you were not getting too much privilege as a kid. She,
1: um, she she did introduce me to John Williams though when I was a kid, and I thought oh. he was Santa Santa Claus. I thought I thought, oh, that's Santa because he had that long white beard.
0: Well, he is the Santa Claus of movie scores.
1: He definitely is. See, you can see the violins in the background. Yeah. I'm at my mom's house now.
0: <laughs> but I mean, John Williams has done all of the great kind of blockbusters of the 70s and 80s
1: yeah my mom has played on a few of them she played on the Schindler's List score she played on the Saving Private Ryan score oh wow and a couple others
0: that's gonna be that's a trip
1: yeah she's she's very good at violin
0: (laughs) and you played the cello for a little bit right
1: yes I was a cello major in college oh
0: yeah do you still play at all
1: yeah, I play for fun. I don't really play in, like, a group or anything, but...
0: You, and Beth, for- you and Beth Stelling don't get together? Because I know she plays <laughs> well, the cello, too.
1: I think, did she just start recently? Because I saw a couple videos, it looked like she had just started. Not that she, I, I'm not I, saying she wasn't good, It just she seemed like she was, like, really excited about it.
0: When I talked to her, we didn't get too much into it, but it was either a new thing or maybe she was just picking it up again.
1: Okay, that's After, cool. Yeah, I should I should tell her we should get to get. I think she's also an Aries. I think her birthday may may be my dad's birthday because I just noticed she just had a birthday. And you just and, had a birthday. And I did. And then we both play cello. Yeah, I think Beth and I would get along. I'm, we actually don't hang out, but I think we we would get
0: along. Uh, yeah, I recommend it. I highly recommend yeah. it. <laughs>
1: I like her as a person
0: (laughs) and I like both of you. So it works.
1: Oh, thanks.
0: Yeah. Um, (laughs) Now I know you, you, you mentioned Garrison in the credits too, before we move on to other stuff, I know you Mm -hmm. mentioned Garrison in the credits too. So I, I wonder, now that you mentioned, you know, him dating your mom's sister, when that, when that all sort of ended so suddenly as it did, did that strike you in a different way than it struck other people because of your,
1: Oh, I should also say that he ended up marrying her. So he's my uncle by marriage. Um, but yeah, I mean, so, yeah. the whole thing was... Yeah, so I would say yes, because um, I know a lot more about the story than, you know, other people. And I know it's very complicated. And um, and he's not really... The, let's just say I don't think he's the type to act inappropriately like that, you know, where it's it's just, you know, he's not... A, he's not a hands-on person. He's very like, he's a very, um, introverted guy. So the whole thing was a little bit crazy. And, um,
0: So to have him lumped into a category with Louis CK or Chris D'Elia for you has to be weird because you're like, well, no, I know my uncle and I, and I know Chris D'Elia and they're not the same.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't feel like I can really comment on any of them because I don't know any of their stories. You know, Mm -hmm. like it's so hard for any of us to know the true story from anybody unless they're accused, like Bill Cosby, you know, like unless they're actually accused. It's very hard for us to make assumptions.
0: Well, Um, yeah. Well, instead of asking about other people's story, let's talk talk more about your story then. so you you were still you were still more of an actress at first than a comedian right you were getting you were getting these small uh, supporting roles in sitcoms and things like that before you even really pursued stand-up
1: yeah I mean I was acting my whole life and then I went to an acting conservatory so I went to the Atlantic Theater Conservatory in New York and um after that, I just thought, yeah, I want to be an actress. And I moved out to L.A. I booked like a few indie films and I did like a web series. And, you know, I did a lot of odd sort of indie stuff, but I never broke through. And I would get close to getting roles like I would have callbacks and I would get really close and then I wouldn't get it. And um so I found I felt very frustrated and because I had been performing my whole life I felt very lost without that outlet. I was like I'm a creative person, I can't just sit around waiting for someone to give me an opportunity. So um I really felt like you know I really kind of felt like I started stand up out of desperation. <laughs> it was like without it I don't know what I'll do.
0: Mhm. Did you was there something about stand up that was more appealing than Improv or sketch, which are things that actors normally tend to do when they're between gigs.
1: Um, I mean, I tried like groundlings, and I remember I liked it, but I wasn't very good at it because I remember my brain didn't really work in the way they wanted you it to work. You know, because Mm -hmm. I wasn't quick on my feet, like. I would, I had a very odd way of thinking about things. So like, I remember you had to do like space work where you had to do an action first and then, and then add the lines. And I remember the moment I realized I wasn't good at improv was when I, I started doing something where I was pulling something out of the sky. And then I just said, I'm pulling monkeys out of the sky. And it made no sense. You know, it (laughs) It
0: it's 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 funny. funny,
1: but it's so ridiculous and it didn't really help that my partner, you know, with this like it just didn't make any logical sense. Mm-hmm. So maybe I was just too outside the box. Like I couldn't really fathom what I was actually doing. Right. And then the I'm not a group person, so I didn't love working in a group setting. I didn't like I didn't like that like teamwork thing. I like my own being my own person. <laughs>
0: okay. So so where did yeah. you go and where did you try it first?
1: A uh, stand up? Yeah. Um, the first time I did an open mic was at a place called the Talking Stick, which was in Venice.
0: On the and, beach, um, or
1: it wasn't right on the beach, but it was probably kind of near there. Okay, um, it was like a coffee shop, and it had a. I just remember it had a lot of like big couches, big chairs, and like you know it had a lot of hipsters and homeless people just hanging out. You know, it was very chill vibe. And uh, I went and I basically vented about a bad audition I just had. I just had a really bad audition. I just got up and was like, let's reenact this. Let's make it, you know, I, I want to do try to do it again. And so I just reenacted the bad audition.
0: And did the hipsters and homeless people like you for the part? <laughs> Were they better? I
1: think so. Especially because I, I asked someone to volunteer and come up on stage and be the casting director. And I think you know, I mean, I made a whole scene, which was very experimental and had no jokes in it whatsoever.
0: Okay. So you started with (laughs) crowd work. You started with crowd work. (laughs) And then eventually you got to the point where you're working with 400 cars in a parking lot.
1: I know you just don't you can't quite predict the future, can you? I mean, I thought I was going to try stand up. I didn't think I was going to necessarily commit to it full time.
0: What was what was the moment where that started to click for you and you thought oh maybe stand up is the path that I should be on right now was um, there, was there I think, a show or a performance or a moment
1: jeez when it started going well
0: when you um, realized this was something you should be sticking with
1: well so I did that open mic and then um, I posted it on Facebook and my manager got upset because he was like what are you thinking doing that i um, posting this on Facebook when well, it's like you're posting your first cello lesson and you don't have any jokes. So you just learn how to write a joke. And so he kind of, he put me on the right path and then I did a show a week later and I did really well at that show. Once I had written all these jokes Okay. and uh, I think that was a moment because I was like, Oh, I, I get it. I have to like write jokes.
0: How long? And then I got a
1: lot of laughs and it was fun. So, Yeah.
0: How, how long did it take you before you got sort of industry attention for your standup?
1: Ooh, it's a really good question because I can't really re- remember a definitive moment. You know, like I can't, I know that I got an audition for just for laughs, new faces. So I like got that pretty early on and I didn't get it right away, but just the fact that I got an audition was kind of a big deal.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: since I had just started um, but I can't quite pinpoint when I started to get. Maybe, well, I did sign with Gersh early on, like they signed me because they saw an early set of mine and it was doing pretty well. But to be honest, I don't I don't think I was very good back then. And I don't think I got good for another couple of years. I think I was pretty bad. And it took me a while. <laughs> it took me a while to sort of like recalibrate certain industries opinion of me. I think like a lot of people were like, well, we saw her early on and she was not very good.
0: They and saw then, that first Facebook video.
1: Yeah. Some people saw me just too early. And <laughs> then, you know, I mean, you have to start somewhere, right. but that's why a lot of people say like starting in LA is really tough because a lot of these people just form their opinions and they never change it from the beginning.
0: Right. Right you could wind up with someone like me who instantly or at first linked you with maria bamford but but then never changed their mind in but i'm of- not
1: in, but i'm not i'm flattered by that because that was the first person i compared myself to okay. was maria bamford i that's how i got my manager i said i'm a young maria bamford and he was like well i don't see it but i do see you <laughs> as a funny person <laughs>
0: are you still and right. a couple years, people you still- keep
1: seeing it. They're like you yeah I get compared to her a lot
0: are you still working with that manager though
1: yeah that's Bruce Smith oh, okay um he's my manager and I've been with him since before I started stand-up and he got he put me on the right track you know he really taught me sort of how to not go down the traps of being like everybody else you know really finding my own voice And um, he's, he's the one who is, who kept me going because two years in, I said, maybe this isn't my thing. Mm -hmm. I said, I don't know if I'm very good at this. And he's like, it's too soon to tell. It's really too soon. So without that, I think I might have quit earlier.
0: (laughs) That's good to have in a manager because if you had asked that question to standups, most standups, their immediate response would be quit. Oh, because totally. They, because they just want everybody else to quit. Get out. Get out of the business. Yeah. There's too many comedians.
1: They for sure do, are not rooting for you in the beginning. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so when you did, you got new faces in 2018. Did you have any sort of expectations? Did Bruce have some words of wisdom for you when you did go out to Montreal in 2018? Um,
1: When I did go, I mean everybody sort of warned me. They were like, you're going to, you, you will think that it's going to change your career and it's not going to do anything. (laughs) Like, that's what everybody told me. They're like, don't get too excited. Don't get too Mm. excited. But of course you still put all this pressure on yourself. You're like, I'm going to be the one that gets a TV show from it, you know? Um, But what I would say is like, I had pretty good shows and what I got the most out of it was, um, just more bookings at clubs. Like I got, and I remember the moment that I had breakfast with a bunch of, um, I, well, I didn't know they were there, but there were a bunch of bookers there at mm-hmm. breakfast and Alonzo Bowden came up to me and immediately introduced me to, like, five club owners. And he's oh, like, wow. oh, this is Erica Rhodes. She's really funny. This is Erica Rhodes. She's really funny. And I still remember that. And I really, like, I've, I've thanked Alonzo a few times, but I thought it was such a generous moment, you know, where a comic above you goes above and beyond to really help you out. And after that, I got booked at, you know, the Heliums and then Helium produced my album. And um, I got booked with um, Tammy um, at all of her clubs in um, like, um, uh, where are all her clubs? Like Edmonton, Minnesota, um, you know, she and her husband, uh, I think it's Rick. They Mm -hmm. both have like a bunch of clubs. So I I met her and I met him and I met a bunch of um, club owners. And I just thought that was such a nice thing for Alonzo to do.
0: Yeah. And that puts you on the road a lot. That gets you a lot of work. And
1: yeah, I've been, you know, and then you get better. That's how you get better is doing the road. So I've sort of changed my mindset. Like, I think when you start out with comedy, you think like, it's kind of like chicken or egg. You're kind of like, well, I want the TV show so that then I can sell out on the road. But then you realize, well, or I could just get really good at comedy and just do the road and keep honing my craft and then get get more people to come because they know I'm good at it rather than the other way around. So it's a mix, maybe. I don't know. But
0: has your own uh, ideal or focus changed from from when you started of what you want out of a stand up career?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, before I thought I would still do a lot of the acting, I thought, you know, I'd book a big TV role or something. And then gradually I realized, you know, I really think stand up is my main passion and I like acting, but it's not my main passion. And so mm-hmm. I love the journey of stand up. I like figuring out how to get better at that. And Um, so i focus much more on the craft and less on the results, less on like, what am I going to get out of this? And more in, wow, I really like the doing of this. I like the process. I even like when it's really hard, you know, it's like, there's something about it where you feel like I'm evolving as I'm doing it.
0: One thing that, that did, I guess, come out of new faces or, you know, maybe indirectly out of it was you did, in 2019, you did that competition series for NBC, Bring the Funny. Yes. <laughs> which which I guess is both a great thing because you're on primetime TV, but then it's also difficult because you're taping it under these weird conditions. You're doing like two minutes of material instead of five. So you have to figure out how to do that. And then you're dealing with celebrity judges and... And then yeah, it was
1: it was surprisingly stressful actually. I w- mm-hmm. I put a lot of pressure on myself for some reason.
0: <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, because, like, because it was on TV or because of what you thought the 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 stakes were?
1: I don't know. I think it was a combination. Like it just felt very high stakes and it wasn't really about the competition aspect as much as that you have to prove yourself in such a short period of time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, very short sets. And as right. I'm doing that, I'm, I'm, you know, as I was doing that, I was starting to write longer bits and perform longer sets. So is this weird juxtaposition of like on the road, I'm doing an hour. And then now I have to do two minutes and kill for that two minutes.
0: Yeah. And then they're also uh, like putting you up against another act where it might not be the same it might be like apples and oranges and you're you're thinking okay I'm funny they're funny but we're funny in different ways and then you have to worry about Keenan Thompson, Chrissy Teigen and Jeff Foxworthy and what they think.
1: Yeah, and they're so different and they have such different perspectives on comedy, you mm-hmm. know? Like I would say Jeff I kind of trusted the most in certain ways just because He's been doing just stand up the longest, right. you know. So he was very nice. I thought he was very like nice to everybody because he right. knew, like, I know this is tough.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right? He could he could envision himself probably like going, okay, this is just a modern version of Star Search, and
1: yes, and he said that he lost Star Search. He's mm. like, I lost it. So you know, don't feel bad if you don't win. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um did what did what about Keenan and Chrissy did they did you interact with them yeah the I mark? mean
1: Chrissy I think she took a little while to figure me out like I think like at first she was kind of like I don't get it because like I think she is such a confident persona like she is such a like I don't have insecurity so she didn't really get whether I really was insecure or whether I was like pretending to be insecure and like i think at one point Kenan had to be like that really is who she is like she's just being herself and she's like i don't really get it you know
0: (laughs) i don't really get why someone would be insecure
1: yeah like she didn't quite get that i don't think she got the neuroses of a comedy Mm -hmm. brain you know because she just thought well i don't have that why would you know So a comedy brain is very neurotic and has all sorts of weird, you know, insecurities. And I think Mm -hmm. she couldn't couldn't quite, she liked me, but she couldn't quite figure me out at first. I think she was like, I don't quite get what she's doing. (laughs) Like, was she nervous? And then Keenan was like, I think that's just who she is. (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. And then, you know, cut to last year, 2020. And you're one of the comedians who actually had an hour on the books before the pandemic, you were going to record your special like in a more traditional style, but you had the hour ready. You had like dates and places and things lined up before the lockdown. Is that right?
1: Yeah. I mean, I was going to, so I was originally going to do my special as part of the Tribeca uh, film festival. So they were going to shoot these four specials as part of it. Mm -hmm. And, um, So we were all set to do that in April. I was also supposed to go to the Melbourne Comedy Festival.
0: I was going to go to Melbourne too. Oh,
1: you were? Yeah. Oh, man, that would have been so much fun.
0: It would have. I I wanted to go this year too, but they're not allowing it. They are having it as we speak right now, but they're not allowing anybody from outside the country.
1: That stinks. Oh, man. so,
0: So we can't go even if we wanted to.
1: I wonder if they'll redo this year at all, like the year that they lost um, the people or they're just going to skip it. I don't know. I always wanted to go to Australia.
0: Well, there's always 2022.
1: Maybe. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but for Tribeca, you were they what was what was the you, so you were going to come to New York then, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And film like in a theater somewhere.
1: Yeah, we were going to do it in one of the screening rooms. They were, you okay. know, doing all the, the screenings, and then they'd also have a have a comedy show.
0: So then, when they so when that gets scrapped, but then you find out, okay, they still want to do it, and Comedy Dynamics is still on board. But instead of in a movie theater in New York City, you're going to do it in the parking lot outside the Rose Bowl. How do you? How do you? rehearsed for that did you rehearse for that differently or? i mean
1: i basically went out on the road and i did very small shows you know i did acme comedy club opened for like a week at that moment okay. and it was perfect timing so i went out there and i just ran my set there and then i also did a show in oklahoma a couple of shows in oklahoma and i did a couple of shows in utah and uh, so I just went back on the road because I was like, I can't shoot. I'm not going to shoot a special without running it. I was like, I'm just not going to do that. So, but I never did it as a as a drive-in.
0: Right. So none of those rehearsals did you ask people to honk at you? <laughs>
1: no but i think a couple times i was like this is great rehearse like at acme they had all the the chairs very spread out so it was Mm -hmm. like they almost looked like cars like it would be like two two uh chairs in the middle and then like really far away two chairs behind them and i was like oh you guys are like basically like cars
0: but that that has to feel like i went to some some drive-in shows here in new york city last summer and they told the cars not to honk. They asked them to flash their lights instead because they didn't want to be a nuisance to the neighborhood with the honking. So it had to feel weird because honking can kind of feel like heckling more than it feels like applause.
1: I don't know. Somehow you could tell when it, that it was a good honk <laughs> when I got it. You know, I don't think they abused it. It only happened a couple times where where it, I wouldn't really hear the laughter so well. And then suddenly mm-hmm. I would hear the honking. And so it was almost like when the back cars that weren't uh, mic'd, they wanted to express themselves like, we liked it, we liked it. And then they would honk and kind of start the honking applause break. But I think it would have been worse if there hadn't been any. I think it might have been weird to not have that at all.
0: Right. Yeah, I guess honking can, if it's if it's enough cars, I guess it really is kind of like a motorized applause break.
1: Yeah. You immediately change your perception of what a honk means. You know, Mm -hmm. like I was going around later being like anytime I was in traffic, I would just be like, thank you. Thank you so much.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That was a great turn.
1: Uh, uh. Yeah. Yeah. They're expressing admiration. No go. (laughs) Right.
0: Now I know you also joke. um, You joke about your parents in the special. And I know, you know, mm-hmm. twenty twenty was a tough year for so many of us, and you know, you were included in that because your your dad passed away this past year. Yeah. How how have how have you emerged from from this past year? You know, you have the highs of doing a special and the lows of losing a parent. Mm. How does how does that how does that combine and and kind of mold you into what you're gonna be now?
1: Well, it's interesting that you say that because in my 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 reasoning for naming the special La Roads Rhodes is because it sort of means seeing life in pink. You know, it means um seeing through rose colored glasses. And right. uh, so to me like I think it's interesting that I named my first special Sad Lemon, because it was sort of leaning into the like woe is me, like like the woe is me mentality. And mm-hmm. then I I purposely called my special of Ian roads because it's like, actually, you know, it's through all the pain and struggle and disappointment that we emerge better or stronger, or, you know, like you can, you can see all the struggle in this horrible way, or you can see it as an opportunity to, to rise above it or see the good in it, or, you know, I don't know, just celebrate what is good in your life more and be more grateful. And so I think a lot of that is is sort of the message I'm trying to say, which is also like why I did it as a drive-in, you know, not that it was my choice, but why I agreed to do it because Mm -hmm. I was like, well, this isn't ideal. This isn't the perfect situation to shoot a special, but is is anything ever perfect? Like, is it ever going to, is any, are you ever ready for anything in life? So why not just say, I'm just going to do comedy regardless of what's going on around me. And so I think, you know, I'd like to think that this year has taught me to be a lot more grateful for things and to just feel like, you know, I've had a lot of great opportunities and I have a lot of things in my life that are good. And, you know, so that's, I guess that's what I've learned from this year is like, you know, what can you make work and what can you be glad about in your life?
0: That's a good attitude. Is that also why you uh, write so much on Medium? I know you write pretty regularly. Yeah, I've been.
1: Well, this year also got me writing more because I think that came from the need to be more creative because I didn't have the outlet of getting up on stage every single day like mm-hmm. I used to. Um, but I also like how in Medium I don't have to try to be funny it's almost a relief. Like I can just be very real. And if anything, I want to sort of incorporate more of that realness into my act. Cause I feel like the reason people have connected with the medium pieces is they just seem very, you know, very authentic and real and not like, I'm not like trying to, I'm not trying to get anything from them. I'm just like, yeah, this is what's really happening in my life. And I guess people have connected to it more than Mm -hmm. i (laughs) Sort of thought
0: <laughs> do you do you treat medium different from uh the other social media platforms like twitter and um, facebook and I instagram think
1: so because i don't think i'm as funny on medium i think i'm a little bit more like a little bit deeper on medium mm-hmm. whereas i think on twitter I'm, i try to be funny in my act i try to be funny and on medium i'm kind of like no i'm just kind of expressing whatever i'm going through like sometimes i think it's funny but it's a little bit more sentimental maybe
0: okay but it's uh but you're still you're still putting stuff out there it's not like uh that first facebook video where bruce had to say no no take that down
1: yeah he's never said take down a medium article so he must (laughs) be okay with those (laughs) so far you know he would tell me he would tell me if he if he thought yeah that you don't want to put that out there you Mm -hmm. know
0: so now that you, now that you have a special out there as of today on a platform near you, um,
1: <laughs> on check, the interwebs
0: <laughs> coming to more platforms every day. As yeah. You, um, <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> what, does that, does that kind of change your mindset into like what happens next for you?
1: Um. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm very much ready to move on from that material. And I was just talking to Tom Papa um, on his podcast. Baking some bread? Oh, well, actually not his podcast. Um, The one he has with Fortune, the um, Netflix. Oh, okay. And uh, I was asking them, I was like, do you guys ever feel like you just want to start over? Like you just want to, you know, like start fresh? And they said, yeah, but, like, you still have to do jokes, you know? <laughs> and so, but I have this, like, weird now. Well, I guess it's not weird. It makes sense because I shot the special. But I almost want to start over. Like, I almost, want, I almost want to just jump in with, like, nothing and see what happens.
0: Well, one thing I think, and my friends who even are, aren't even in comedy think, we, we you know as we've been talking over the past year year and a couple of months we've talked about the fact that as as bad as as covid has been for the world it's also given all of us who are still around a chance to reevaluate what's important and if we do want to start completely from scratch and do something else this is the perfect time to do it
1: Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't mean quit comedy. I just mean um, start my act over.
0: No, I know. I know what that's even. <laughs> you're like, I you're like, you know
1: what? You should go into construction. <laughs> I think.
0: <laughs> I was telling you, if you ask people in comedy, they will tell you to quit.
1: <laughs> oh, totally. Yeah. Even you. You're like, yeah. Don't ask me. <laughs> you're like, just- I saw your special and now wondering what's next. What are you going to give up on? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's just i'm it's a callback I'm saying give up on your dreams, give up on your dreams that is so, good no i'm not I'm not suggesting that at all i'm just uh I'm just saying that my friends and i were were thinking about how you know this is like a great reset for all of us, and so if we want to be a different better version of ourselves, we can we have a chance to to come out of this and do that, and so it is a good right. time. To- to go on stage and be like, okay, this is who I am now. I know you saw all of this stuff on stage, but this is who I am. Just like when you write this stuff on Medium, it's like, this is me now. Get on board.
1: Right. Exactly. I feel like there's, I have a desire to be more, to be more authentic. and And whatever that means, I'm still figuring out a little bit. Um, You know, I'm trying to do that more in relationships because I've had I have sort of struggled with this like people pleaser thing, you know, where I like have this like desire to be liked, which I think a lot of comics have. But in my mind, it's a little bit of a block with my comedy. This this desire to be like, oh, you know, like me smile, like I'm smiling and I'm like, yeah, and I feel like I want to get to a different layer where it's it's more about like. This is more true. I want to get to a more truthful place, I guess. That's good. Uh, so, yeah. But well, I don't know exactly how to do that yet.
0: <laughs> I mean, I would only say yeah. that I guess what I, what I tend to hear from older comedians who have been there and done that is you want to resist the impulse to just say what you think the the audience wants to hear and instead, say the things that you really want to say. Yes. And yes. What, makes you, what makes you laugh? What makes you angry? What makes you passionate? And that's the stuff that you want to be talking about.
1: Right. Like I started working on jokes about, you know, my, what I went through with my dad. And, and even though some of them aren't quite laugh out loud funny because it's a dark topic, I think it's interesting, you know, I think it's, it's interesting to talk about.
0: And Jonathan Katz is still very funny, so.
1: I love Jonathan Katz. Yeah. And you know, he, you know, he's from my hometown of Newton.
0: I do know that. Yeah. yeah.
1: He's so. been so sweet to me. He, he sent me flowers when my dad died and he called me on my birthday and he's like a real sweet, you know.
0: He's the good doctor.
1: Mentor. Yeah. He's a, he's a real psychiatrist. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, I know I'm not a real psychiatrist, but I hope spending the, these last 41 minutes with me was, was therapeutic. Oh, fun, very much. One of, yeah. one of the above.
1: No, it was great. I, I, to me, it's so funny because for whatever reason, I get very excited when people have read any of the medium pieces I've written because mm-hmm. it's sort of like, oh, they've really done their research. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, people are reading my blogs. That's a big deal. <laughs> I'm um, like, anyone can watch my comedy.
0: <laughs> and anyone can. Go look it up yes, on Amazon, watch Apple watch TV. <laughs> and then after you do that, then go to her medium. Yes. So, Erica Rhodes, thank you so much. Last Things First. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brezel at Showbread Studios.